Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. As the economy slowly slides into recession, the Biden administration prepares to blame Republicans. The media cry cheer as Facebook reinstates Donald Trump, and we must all respect the pronouns of alleged rapists who now say they are female. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, folks, we do have the economic stats from the fourth quarter in the United States. According to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. economy grew at a solid 2.9% annual rate last quarter, but entered this year with less momentum as rising interest rates and still high inflation weighed on demand. U.S. growth in the fourth quarter was down slightly from a 3.2% annualized rate in the third quarter, according to the Commerce Department. Consumer spending helped drive the fourth quarter gain. Obviously, it's holiday season. A lot of people are out there spending. The housing market did weaken. Businesses cut back their spending on equipment as well, presumably in expectation that things are about to get very slow in the American economy. The October to December period capped a year of economic slowdown with growth of 1% in the fourth quarter of 2022 compared with a year earlier and down sharply from the 5.7% growth in 2021. So we are certainly slightly into something. Many people are saying that recession is about to happen. The slowdown in part reflected a return to a more normal pace of growth after output surged mid business reopenings, fiscal stimulus, and a waning pandemic in 2021. So as inflation begins to wane and as those interest rates increase, the economy is going to go into a certain level of stagnation. It may be recession followed by stagnation or it just may be plain stagnation. Whatever it is, the future of the American economy for at least the next couple of years is not going to be particularly strong. According to Kathy, Boss Janchek, the chief economist at Nationwide, outside of the labor market, we're releasing a broad-based slowing in economic activity. It's not going to be a soft landing. Now, many people in the media are, of course, trying to pitch the idea that a soft, landing, a soft landing is imminent. A soft landing would be where the Federal Reserve somehow achieves the signal feat of increasing the interest rates to slow inflation without the country actually sliding into full-on economic recession. And so some excuse is going to have to be come up with if recession does in fact hit. And again, recession looks like it is on the way. According to the Wall Street Journal, there have now been severe corporate layoffs beyond high, te- high growth tech giants. Dow International Business Machine Corporation, SAP, SE, joined the string of companies outlining plans to cut thousands of jobs to prepare for a darkening economic outlook, even as the nation's labor market remains tight. The headline grabbing expansion of layoffs beyond high growth tech companies stands in contrast to historically low levels of jobless claims and news that places like Chipotle and Airbus are adding jobs. That makes sense, again, that Chipotle and Airbus are adding jobs as people go back into the marketplace, as they begin to spend again on things like restaurants. You'd imagine that Chipotle is going to hire up. And again, people were not traveling and now they are traveling. And so a lot of people got laid off and now they're going to be put back into the travel market again. But overall, the economy is certainly slowing. And there's a lot of talk that maybe this was going to be restricted to the tech stocks, specifically because when you have a lot of money that's sort of in circulation, a lot of that money ends up going to the more high return areas of the economy, namely tech. When the money comes out of the economy, that is the place where the tide rushes out the fastest. However, it's now bleeding over into sort of more mainstream industrial industries. This week, four companies trimmed more than 10,000 jobs. Still, the decisions mark a shift in sentiments inside executive suites, where many leaders have been holding on to workers after struggling to hire and retain them in recent years when the pandemic disrupted workplaces. Unlike Microsoft and Alphabet, which announced larger layoffs this month, these companies haven't expanded their workforces dramatically during the pandemic. Instead, the leaders of these global giants said they were shrinking to adjust to slowing growth or responding to weaker demand for their products. So this is obviously the, the beginning of something that looks like a serious economic slowdown. Recession fears are growing. According to the Washington Post, despite the U.S. economy growing overall in 2022 at 2.1%, that was wildly outpaced by inflation, and the recession fears continue. 
They say that the figure was a cool down over the last quarter, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. The latest figures point to a resilient but slowing economy that has been tempered by the Federal Reserve's aggressive efforts to control inflation. Although economic growth in the most recent quarter came in stronger than many had expected, analysts say it will have little impact on the Fed's next move. So this means, again, that somebody has to come up with a plan. The plan is going to be to blame Republicans. This plan is going to be largely reliant on the debt ceiling fight. So the timing is coincidental, obviously. We're about to hit the debt ceiling in the next couple of weeks. That does not mean that the United States government will shut down. We have enough runway that the government will continue to run at current run rate for the next several months until things would actually start to go offline until the national parks, if Barack Obama were president, but it is a Biden, so he'll try to do the same sort of thing. The national parks would close or, or something like that. You'd still get your social security check. You'd still get your Medicare. All that stuff would still end up being processed because there are still mandatory checks that would go out under American law. With that said, the debt ceiling fight is now going to be blamed if the economy goes south. So Republicans had better be very careful here. When, when the Democrats were in charge of all three branches of the elected government, when they ran the House, the Senate, and the presidency, when the economy goes into the tank, it's Democrats who get blamed. When Republicans are in charge of the House, the media look for somebody else to blame. And that's precisely what is happening right here. That is what is going to happen over the debt ceiling. CNN's Christine Romans, who is a business reporter for CNN, she again, is starting to lead off this narrative. Watch for it. It's going to be the popular narrative in the Democratic left circles, in the media. The narrative is going to be that a soft landing was about to happen, and then the Republicans took over Congress, and lo and behold, the economy slowed. Now, it's not true. We've been seeing the economy slowing significantly over the course of the last year. We've seen the inflation rates running out of control. That was all Democratic policymaking plus the Federal Reserve. However, Democrats will use any convenient excuse that they can. The convenient excuse now is that Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans just took over the House. Here is CNN's Christine Romans doing this routine. How does this data support that? This data fits right in with that picture, mm -hmm. quite honestly. I mean, this shows you that the economy is strong, but slowing a little bit from the quarter before. Shows the job market is still strong. Maybe, I'm guessing early this year, it's going to start to show less strength than it used to. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Fed wants to see. Right, that's what we want. But I think, I mean, the, what I've been getting from my sources all morning is this all feeds into the soft landing camp. The most recent data all fits in the, in the camp of people who think a soft landing is possible. If... Washington doesn't screw it up with the debt ceiling. And notice that last part, right? That's the last part that matters, right? If Washington doesn't screw it up with the debt ceiling, but they'll probably screw it up with the debt ceiling, and then we can blame all of the Republicans for what is obviously bad economic policy on the part of the Democrats. Right? We had this thing handled, and then in came Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and they ruined everything. And so you're going to see the media play up the debt ceiling debate to extraordinary heights. They're going to claim, they always claim whenever there's a government shutdown that the end of the world is nigh. It never is. There's never a zombie apocalypse with, with the, the dead wandering the streets trying to eat brains or anything like that. Everything seems to sort of work normally, at least for a pretty significant period of time. But this is going to be a completely different thing. It's not just going to be that the zombie apocalypse is about to arrive. It's that economic catastrophe is going to be the fault of the Republicans for not increasing the debt ceiling if they don't do so. In time, you can see Politico setting up this narrative as well. They have an entire piece by Adam Cancran and Eugene Daniels titled Veterans of the Obama Era Debt Ceiling Standoff on the Current One. We may be doomed. Quote, the last time the U.S. found itself on the verge of a debt ceiling disaster, David Kamen had a front row seat to all the action. An economic advisor in the Obama White House, Kamen was among those charged with solving the 2011 standoff that rattled global markets, dented the economy, and led to an embarrassing downgrade of America's credit rating. The government narrowly averted a catastrophic default that year, striking a deal with just days to spare. But more than a decade later, with the nation deadlocked again over the debt ceiling, he fears the outcome this time could be far worse. Ah, the doom mongering, the scare mongering. We're all going to die. The economy is going to collapse, and it's going to be the fault of these guys who've been in power for approximately 32 seconds. Kamen said, there's a potential for it to be very bad. By the way, this is, I love that they're quoting a top Biden staffer because this guy did act as a top Biden economic staffer before returning to academia last year. So they're literally just quoting spokespeople for the Biden administration to the effect that if things go south, it's the Republicans' fault. Quote, we're back here. There's a real risk to the economy on the line. Cayman isn't the only one struck by a foreboding sense of deja vu. From the White House to Wall Street, a growing number of veterans of the 2011 debt crisis are again watching a story of bluster and brinksmanship play out and are terrified this will be the time it ends with the country in financial ruin. David Vandeveer, who was a senior treasury official during the 2011 negotiations and, of course, an Obama staffer, says, quote, it feels like there's a desire to get closer and closer to the brink. At a certain point, you don't know where the line is. The parallels to the Obama-era stalemate are clear, as House Republican leaders vow to place restraints on a Democratic administration while also trying to manage their troublesome conservative wing. But unlike in 2011, Republicans are preparing to stare down the White House with no clear consensus on what they want in exchange for keeping the U.S. financial system afloat. Now, again, that is a tremendous rewriting of history. If you remember back to 2010, 2011, when we did this debt ceiling debate, the Republicans didn't know what they wanted, the Democrats didn't know what they wanted, and that is why they came up with sequestration. 
sequestration was a deal between Republicans and Democrats that would essentially kick in essentially one year from the date of the deal that was made. And it said, we will try to com- we'll try to find some erstwhile deal to cut spending here and cut spending there. And if that doesn't happen, cuts of a particular size will go into place and half of them will come from defense. And the idea there from Obama was the cuts will never go into place because Republicans will not want to cut defense. And the idea from Republicans was the cuts will never go into place because Obama doesn't want to cut. And instead, you had essentially a prisoner's dilemma in which both sides defaulted. And what you ended up with was sequestration, a massive cut to military spending and a, a cut to the future rate of growth of other sorts of spending. So everybody seems to be lying to you, right? They're suggesting that 2010, 2011, it was all hunky-dory back then. Now the debt ceiling thing is going to hit and that's what's going to sink the economy. All of that is untrue. Are you sick of hearing things that are untrue? Are you sick of people telling you lies? Lies like all of your internet activity is private when you use incognito mode. That is, in fact, a lie. This is why you should do what I do and use ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN, it's like leaving your laptop open and unattended at the coffee shop table. Most of the time, probably fine. Then one day, you're looking around and suddenly there's just some weirdo from the FBI who's just browsing through your emails. Or maybe he doesn't even have to be at the coffee shop. Maybe he's just doing that anyway. You need ExpressVPN to anonymize your internet activity. It's just that simple. It doesn't take a genius to hack somebody. All you need is some cheap hardware. This is why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't steal your data. It'll take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. I love ExpressVPN because it's incredibly easy to use. Just fire up the app, click one button. It works on all devices. You can stay secure on the go. Secure your online data today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. Get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. I've been using them to secure my internet data for years at this point. You should do the same. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's say you were a duke of an intergalactic house, and one day your emperor decided to give you an additional desert planet to rule. Well, you'd probably think, that sounds like an amazing gift. Wrong you are, because that same emperor decided to blindside you and murder you in your sleep. Pretty sure Duke Leto really wished he had some life insurance the moment that hunter-seeker pierced his body. No one likes to talk about life insurance, but it's incredibly important, and you need to include it in your financial planning this year. Start shopping now at Policy Genius. Find the right policy to protect your family today. Give yourself the peace of mind that comes with knowing that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover all their expenses while getting back on their feet. Policy Genius's technology makes comparing life insurance quotes from America's top insurers easy. Just a few clicks. You already have a life insurance policy through work, but that might not be enough. And if you move jobs, then it doesn't follow you. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies starting at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. When they make it this easy, there really is not an excuse not to do it. Save time, money, provide your family with financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. So it wasn't as though things were like amazingly well negotiated in 2010, 2011. This time around, obviously, Kevin McCarthy dealing with a very fractious caucus. He has not yet come out with some sort of full list of the things he wants restructured. Some of the Republicans are saying that they want full-on entitlement restructuring. They want restructuring of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. That is not going to happen. You have a Democrat-controlled Senate. You have a Democrat president. It's not going to happen. Pick 10 things that you guys think should get cut, 10 things the American people agree with you on, and then go after those 10 things. If you go for entitlement reform with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, that's political malpractice. I agree with you. It needs to be done. Also, it is running directly into a chainsaw. It is political malfeasance. However, again, the the media are going to play this up because the worse this gets, the more they're going to be able to blame Republicans going into 2024. Dan Pfeiffer, a senior Obama aide during the 2011 showdown, said that of his entire time in the administration, he was never more scared than in the final days of the debt ceiling fight because it was very possible we were going over the cliff. And he says the similarities to now are obvious. A Democratic president unsure if the leader of the opposing party has the clout to get his conference on the same page. The White House at the time felt Boehner understood and took seriously the dangers of default. Pfeiffer says, Boehner may have been willing to put more of his ass on the line. He did intellectually and substantively understand why default was terrible. I'm not sure McCarthy understands that, that McCarthy cares, that McCarthy would value the full faith and credit of the United States over his own job. Now, remember, this is all revisionist history. They hated John Boehner at the time. They were saying the exact same crap about John Boehner. This is the mode of the left. The mode of the left is the last Republican was amazing. The new guy, man, he's scary. He's super bad. And this is true in presidential politics. It's true in speakers of the House. It's true in former senators. All of them are horrible up until the point they leave office, at which point they become amazing in comparison with the current guy. The current guy is just the worst. Okay, so realistically speaking, some deal will get cut when it comes to the debt ceiling. And Republicans should look for a deal to cut when it comes to the debt ceiling. I say this again, not because I want the increase in debt. I don't. It is because you're not going to get what you want with this political alignment as it currently is. 
And what you are going to do is you're going to hand an argument to the Democrats that a bad economy is not their fault, despite the fact that they control the elected branches of government except for the House. That it's instead the fault of these fractious Republicans who wanted to restructure entitlements, which you don't even want in the first place. So I am pleased to see that at the very least, Senator Joe Manchin is meeting with Speaker McCarthy to urge the House Republican leader to negotiate with Biden. Not because I'm on Manchin's side, but because if any deal is going to get cut here, Manchin's going to have to be a part of it. Democrats right now control the Senate. That means that if you are going to cut some sort of deal with the Senate to get past the debt ceiling, what you're going to have to do is go to Manchin and Cinema, presumably, and have them pressure the rest of the left to accept some sort of concessions. A source familiar with the meeting said Manchin encouraged McCarthy to negotiate with Biden to find a path forward that would avoid harming the American people. The source described the interaction as good and said no commitments were made. Manchin on Sunday called on the White House to negotiate with House Republicans over raising the debt limit, arguing it would be a mistake to expect Congress to authorize new federal borrowing authority without bipartisan talks. And Manchin is exactly right on this. By the way, this is also politically savvy by Manchin. He signed off on the bottom line of that giant boondoggle $1.7 trillion bill at the end of last year. Now he's going to have to run for re-election in West Virginia, a super Republican state as a Democrat. Like Manchin's incentive structure is that he has to broker some sort of deal here. He is a Democrat in a very red state. There's even been talk of him switching parties. Speaking of switching things, you might want to switch your phone coverage from one of the big guys over to Pure Talk. Because if one of your goals this year is to do business with companies that share your values, you should check out Pure Talk. Pure Talk is the antidote to woke wireless companies. It's proudly veteran-owned. It employs a U.S.-based customer service team. It absolutely refuses to spend money on news networks that you hate. Pure Talk's service is excellent. They're one of the largest networks in the country. They use one of the tower networks that the big guys use. You can get blazing fast data, talk, and text for as low as 30 bucks per month. That's probably half what you're paying with Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile. You can switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. Try it. If you're not completely happy with the service, you get your money back. This year, make it a goal to support the companies that don't hate you. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your very first month of coverage. That's puretalk.com. Promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Stop spending too much money with the big guys, the big guys who really don't like you very much and are overcharging you for your data and for your coverage. Get the same exact coverage, but at a better price with puretalk.com. Use promo code Shapiro to save 50% off your very first month. Manchin said on State of the Union on CNN, quote, we have to negotiate. This is the democracy we have. We have a two-party system. We should be able to talk and find out what our differences are. This happens to be correct. So, Going to Manchin and having him broker something here would probably be the smartest political move. And, and it's fun. I, I understand it's fun for a lot of people in the commentary to talk about stand on principle, shut down the government. I'm just telling you, the predictable result of this is going to be that Democrats will vote with some Republicans to raise the debt ceiling. And then Joe Biden will blame all Republicans for the failure of the economy. This is what they are planning to do. I mean, Joe Biden is being obvious about this. I mean, Joe Biden, is, he's, say, he's saying this openly. Giving Democrats what they want is usually a bad strategy. According to the New York Times, quote, Biden hammers Republicans on the economy with eye on 2024. The president has found a welcome foil in a new conservative House majority and its tax and spending plans sharpening a potential reelection message. Biden on Thursday assailed House Republicans over their tax and spending plans, including potential changes to popular retirement programs ahead of what is likely to be a run for re-election. By the way, if you want to talk about the political genius of Donald Trump, this actually was one area where Trump understood the tea leaves better than a lot of Republican leaders. Republican leaders, quite properly, are focused on the problem of entitlements. Donald Trump was like, I'm not dealing with that. He said, I understand that the American people, they say they want to lower spending, but they don't actually want to restructure entitlements, so I'm just not going to touch it. He happens to be politically correct about that. Not PC politically correct. He happens to be right on the merits that the politics of touching entitlements are very scary for Republicans. And the problem for Trump, obviously, is that once he was president, he should have used that power in order to restructure entitlements. But when he was running for president, it made a lot of sense not to actually talk about restructuring entitlements. Americans don't like to hear about that sort of stuff. In a speech in Springfield, Virginia, Biden sought to reframe the economic narrative away from the rapid price increases that have dogged much of his first two years in office and toward his stewardship of an economy that has churned out steady growth and strong job gains. Biden said, quote, at the time I was sworn in, the pandemic was raging and the economy was reeling. And then he talks about how much money he spent and how he is building the economy again. Now, the economy is going to a weak place, which means that Republicans have a lot to run on come 2024. Stagnation is going to set in. The inflation rate, despite all of the happy talk, is still riding at well above 6% at this point. So it's not as though things have gone back to normal. And it's not as though even when they do go back to normal, we're going to have a booming economy. So Republicans will be able to run against Biden on the economy unless they hand him a bat to hit them with. So Biden says that he is going to attack Republicans on curbing safety net spending and risking a government default by refusing to raise the federal borrowing limit without deep spending cuts. Why, he asked, would Americans give up the progress we've made for the chaos they are suggesting? 
He said, I will not let anyone use the full faith and credit of the United States as a bargaining chip, which is, of course, hilarious. The whole point that Republicans are making is that the future of the full faith and credit of the United States is reliant on us not having a $31 trillion national debt. By the way, it ain't going to be $31 trillion for long. We'll be at $40 trillion pretty soon. Our debt-to-GDP ratio will be extraordinary. We'll spend a significant chunk of the American budget every single year from here till the end of time paying off our national debt just on the debt servicing. So when he says that he's for fiscal sanity, of course, that's not true. But he does have the entire media on his side. And if Republicans shut this thing down without any hope of an actual victory, it's going to be a fairly large-scale mistake. Now, meanwhile, Democrats are reacting, I would say, rather interestingly to Donald Trump's reinstatement on Facebook. They're doing something that I would call cry-cheering. By cry-cheering, what I mean is they're pretending that they're very upset about it, but they're actually super happy about it. They're cry-cheering. I was like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't, it's just terrible. It's just, <laughs> and they're cry-cheering about it. The reason they're cry-cheering about it is because when they look at the polls, what they see is that Donald Trump runs fairly even with Joe Biden. There are a few sporadic polls that will show him beating Joe Biden, but overall, he tends to run weaker than Joe Biden. Meanwhile, Ron DeSantis in Florida seems to be running better than Joe Biden. He's a much more disciplined candidate. He doesn't tweet odd things on, on Truth Social. He doesn't go out there and say things that provide fodder for the opposition. He didn't lose to a dead man in his basement, for example. And so a lot of Democrats are starting to play the same game they played in 2015, 2016. Now, they may be wrong, right? They may get exactly what they bargained for in 2015, 2016. You recall that in 2015, 2016, the left really elevated Trump. They really spent like, like billions of dollars worth of media time on Donald Trump, trying to elevate him in the primaries, thinking that Hillary would then defeat him. And of course, that turned out to be a horrible strategy. However, in the 2022 cycle, they actually did that again, and it worked. They elevated John Baldock in New Hampshire. They spent a bunch of money on him in New Hampshire. They elevated Herschel Walker in Georgia. They elevated like a bunch of actual Republican candidates they thought were Trumpier in significant races. Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. They did this in order to try to facilitate Democratic wins in those states, and it actually worked out for them. So now they are attempting to do the same thing with Donald Trump, and they've discovered the secret sauce. The secret sauce is the more they attack Trump, the more Republicans come to Trump's defense which I understand. I've done it too, right? I, I get it. When the media attacks somebody, your initial response immediately is, the media's garbage, so that guy must be awesome. Now, two things can be true at once. The media can be garbage, and their attacks on Trump can be unfair, and also he might not be the strongest candidate for president of the United States come 2024. But the reason that Democrats are, are cry-cheering over Trump's reinstatement to Facebook is twofold. One, they would like to see Trump be the nominee. Two, they make a boatload of money off of Donald Trump. The Washington Post, since Donald Trump left office, has lost 500,000 subscribers. That is because the news is far less interesting without Donald Trump in it. It's because Donald Trump sells newspapers. Say whatever you will about the guy, he moves product. And the media are in the product-moving business. All of the talk about how principled they are, they are not principled, they are not objective, they are far-left activists who every so often like to keep their jobs. And so here, both of those things cross streams Ghostbuster style. One, it'd be great for them, they think, they may be wrong, and they might be totally wrong, they think it is better for them if Trump is elevated as the nominee. And two, they get to make a lot of money off Donald Trump running either way. And so you've seen this sort of cry-cheering attitude from the Democrats. And you're seeing them ramp it up because there are new polls showing that Trump is very vulnerable to DeSantis, for example. So there's a 2024 New Hampshire Republican primary poll. It's super early. DeSantis has not yet even declared for the presidency. If he's going to, it will probably be summer before he does. This new poll shows DeSantis up 42-30 over Trump in New Hampshire. If Trump loses New Hampshire, he's not, winning the, he's not winning the nomination. He won New Hampshire going away in 2016. In 2016, he won by 19 points in New Hampshire. It was one of his best states. So this means that Democrats have to mobilize, and they are beginning to mobilize with the cry cheering. They understand that if they attack Trump enough, then maybe it will generate support for him. So you can look at the media reaction to Donald Trump being re-allowed on Facebook. They're pretending now they're so upset. They're, oh, we're so upset that Trump's back on Facebook. They're so upset. They're really mad. They're really upset about Trump being... They are so happy about Trump being back on Facebook. I cannot even express to you how happy they are. The media are cry-cheering over Donald Trump being readmitted to Facebook. They're cry-cheering because they're actually very, very happy that Donald Trump is going to be more in the public eye. It gives them something to talk about. It allows them to get ratings and all the rest. They're, frankly, they're embarrassing. I'll tell you something else that's embarrassing, and that is going to the doctor for, you know, delicate issues. It's time-consuming, expensive, and again, it can be very embarrassing. Rex MD is FDA-approved. It's the most trusted leader in men's telehealth. 
They've made it simple, easy, and cost-effective to help men feel more confident in the bedroom. Rex MD makes getting generic and branded Viagra or Cialis really easy. Everything is online, even the prescription. They deliver it discreetly to your door. We're talking no waiting rooms and no embarrassing trips to the doctor, no insurance, no copays. Take advantage of their best deal ever. Save up to 90% off, pay as low as two bucks per dosage with our exclusive link. Just go to rexmd.com slash Ben for this limited time deal. They are here to make sure that you save a lot of money. Did you know that Viagra can cost around 90 bucks a pill? RexMD has generic Viagra. It's just as effective for as low as two bucks a pill. RexMD has already helped over 350,000 guys gain confidence quickly and conveniently, and they are here to help you too, and they'll do it discreetly for you. Take advantage of their Valentine's Day deal by heading to rexmd.com slash Ben. My exclusive deal will save you up to 90% off since you'll be paying as low as two bucks per dose on generic Viagra instead of the 90 bucks plus on Viagra. Starter packs of generic Viagra or Cialis are now available. For my listeners to get started, that's rexmd.com slash Ben for up to 90% off. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on balance of nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience balance of nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. So MSNBC's Stephanie Rule. She was talking about the reinstatement of Donald Trump on Facebook and saying, well, they're after the dollars. That's what they want. They want the dollars. Guys, you've talked about Donald Trump incessantly since 2015. It is now 2023. For the last eight years, you've been talking about Donald Trump and raking it in because of it. Now you're going to say that Facebook is in it for the bucks? All right. Facebook's looking for ways to get creative in their business because let's be honest, as far as new users are going, they're getting their clocks cleaned by TikTok. So Facebook looking to say, yep, this is for democracy. We're going to put Donald Trump back on. It's going to drum up a lot of energy, a lot of focus, and hopefully for them, a lot of ad dollars. So make no mistake when they're talking about, well, this is about content moderation. Maybe it's the right thing to do. The almighty dollar is why both sides are keen for this. They are so excited in MSNBC. Don't let them fool you. They love every second of this. This is the thing they want more than anything in life. Mika Brzezinski is doing this routine. Now, you'll recall that Mika and Joe joked their way through the primary process with Donald Trump in 2016. I mean, they had him on like every day and they, and they, they made him palatable to even some members of the left. They're really nice to him. And then they had kind of a fake fight and then they got back together in December of 2016. And then after the election, Donald Trump was too crazy for them. They started ripping on him again. There's it's been a whole kind of interpersonal saga with Mika and Joe. Now Mika's saying there's no accountability. This is all about money. That's the only reason he's back on, on Facebook. You guys, I, we can see it. We can see how happy you are. We can see how you want to make money off of Trump. Trump is a money. He was right. Trump said this about you guys. He was like, I make money for you. You need me. Correct. He's absolutely right about that. We think the risk to public safety has has materially and significantly receded. But that is also the reason why we are introducing those additional guardrails to discourage him from breaking our rules going forward if he chooses to use Facebook and Instagram again. I don't see any sign the risk has gone down. In fact, some of his posts on Truth Social are disgusting, racist. There's no change. So this is just about money. And also the fact that there's no accountability. There's no accountability. You guys gave him like a billion dollars in free media coverage in 2015, 2016. You're still on the air complaining about it. Yeah, man. The media, could, they are ecstatic about this. Mara Gay of the Washington Post says, I have a lot of concerns. You got to don't have concerns. You're full of it. It's kind of a win-win for you. You get to complain about Donald Trump being back. And then you get to cover Donald Trump being back, which makes you as happy as pie. Ultimately, these social media platforms don't, uh, they're just not held to the same standards that news organizations are. And that is the central conflict. That is the central tension. I don't think that has gone away. I, I continue to believe um, I have a lot of concerns about that. 
And, you know, look, Donald Trump's reaction was to mock them anyway. Okay, so, you know, this is this is going to be fun to watch for the media. They will make more money off of this. Meanwhile, the person who they're really scared of is DeSantis, pretty obviously speaking. In sort of a fascinating development, Ron DeSantis has now called for a change at the RNC one day before the re-election vote for Ronna Romney McDaniel, who has now presided over three consecutive election losses for Republicans. She did poorly in 2018, in 2020, and in 2022. She is trying to run for re-election again. She's running against Harmeet Dillon. Full disclosure, Harmeet Dillon was our lawyer in our case that we filed against the Biden administration, suing them to remove the OSHA vax mandate. So I like Harmeet. I think Harmeet would make an excellent head of the RNC. Apparently, so does DeSantis. According to NBC News, in an interview with a conservative-leaning outlet in his home state, Florida's Voice, DeSantis spoke positively about McDaniel's top challenger, Harmeet Dillon. He said, I think we need a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. I like what Harmeet has said about getting the RNC out of D.C. We need some fresh thinking. McDaniel has helmed the RNC since the beginning of Trump's term in the White House. While he endorsed for previous elections, this time Trump has stayed out of the race, telling Breitbart last year, I like them both, speaking of McDaniel and Dillon. The incumbent is favored to win another term chairing at the RNC, and there are a lot of questions about how much McDaniel is in, for example, Trump's corner. Is she going to bias the RNC process in favor of Donald Trump, considering that he was a big backer of her the first time around? McDaniel is currently touting the endorsements of more than 100 members ahead of Friday's votes. She needs support from 85 on a secret ballot to win another term. Dylan right now has public support from at least 32 members of the committee. As I've said before, I don't think you get to lose this many elections consecutively and retain your job. It, it is sort of fascinating, however, to see the internal politics of the RNC, according to the New York Times. There has been some movement away from Donald Trump, even within the RNC, even among those who back Ronna Romney McDaniel. The 168 members of the RNC are gathering in Southern California to select their own leader on Friday. Interviews this week with 59 of them, more than one third of the committee's membership found few eager to crown Trump their nominee for a third term. While they praised his policies and accomplishments as president, many expressed deep concerns about his age, he's 76, temperament and ability to win a general election, often in unusually blunt terms. Mac Brown, chairman of the Republican Party of Kentucky, said this isn't 2016. People have moved on. Jonathan Barnett, RNC member from Arkansas, who claims to have been the first member of the committee to endorse Trump's 2016 campaign, said the party would benefit from its nominee being forced to navigate a crowded primary field. Barnett said, I've been a supporter of Trump in the past. I just think we need choices this time. We've got to look at all of our options. Well, Nikki Haley has been talking about running for president. And of course, Ron DeSantis is probably going to throw his hat into the ring. And Democrats are freaking out about this because it could spell the death of the Biden administration. Now, speaking of death, you should have a will. I mean, Joe Biden, I hope, has a will. He's an elderly man with, with children to inherit whatever wealth he, he got from his ill-gotten gains. But you should have a will as well. It is a smart thing to do. And this is why you can get it taken care of with Epic Will. For just 119 bucks in as little as five minutes, Epic Will can help you create your last will and testament, living will, even healthcare power of attorney. Their step-by-step online form makes it really, really easy. All you need to do is fill in the blanks. I can't stress how important it is to get this done. It's, it's really, really important. You know, my wife and I, we have a will because we don't want the government disposing of our assets in case, God forbid, something happens to us. We don't want the government figuring out who gets to take care of our kids. This is all stuff you can take care of in your will. 50% of Americans do not have a will. Don't be one of them. Choose to be in the smarter half. Go to epicwill.com. Use promo code Shapiro. Save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That is epicwill.com. Promo code Shapiro. Again, epicwill.com. Promo code Shapiro. You can't afford not to have will. Kids can't afford for you not to have will. Head over to epicwill.com. Promo code Shapiro. Get started today. Obviously, Trump is hoping to crowd out the field. That is very unlikely to happen. Already, Nikki Haley has made some pretty strong signals that she would like to run for president of the United States. Again, she was his UN ambassador and she was a two-term governor of South Carolina. So she would be a strong candidate. Ron DeSantis is very likely to throw his hat into the ring. He's termed out as governor of Florida. He's done an excellent job there. He's extraordinarily popular in his home state, which is a swing state. He's very popular nationally as well. And you can see the media, they're, they're ratcheting up the, the panic with regard to DeSantis in particular, because DeSantis is the one who's pulling the best against Trump right now. So for example, Don Lemon is turning that spinal tap speaker all the way up to 11. Here he was yesterday suggesting that Donald Trump, that, that, that Ron DeSantis and the rest of the Republicans across the nation, they're, they're trying to ban books. It's like the 1950s again, said the gay black man on national television. Another challenge brought up by one of the school board members, the definition of age appropriate. How do you define what is age appropriate in this vetting process? I reached out to the governor's office as well as the Department of Education with that very question, and we have not received a response. I feel like we're going back. I feel like I'm watching a bad version of like Pleasantville, where you're, I, I don't get what's happening. It feels like the 1950s all over again with like book banning. This is, this yeah. is cancel culture 
from people who are, I guess they just want our kids to be ignorant and to control the teachers. I, I love this stuff. I love it so much. So Don Lemon is a gay black man on national television complaining that we now live back in the 1950s. I've noticed that he's, a, for the third time, a gay black man on national television. If this were the 1950s, I have a feeling that would not be a thing that is happening right now. Also, he seems pathologically incapable of understanding that you actually get to control what happens in the classroom because free speech is not the chief issue in the classroom. What's taught to your kids is the chief issue in the classroom. That school libraries are not, in fact, free speech zones. You don't get to view pornography in the school library. For example, Don Lemon seems incapable of actually understanding any of that. But it's the panic level that really is the, the great indicator. So if people on the right are looking at who are the media actually panicked by, the answer is they're absolutely panicked over Ron DeSantis. And, and the reason for that is because DeSantis has been extraordinarily effective as governor of Florida. I can't stress it enough. I moved to Florida away from California. One of the reasons is politics. California has become a blue hellhole. Ron DeSantis' Florida is red as blood at this point. He won by 20 points. There is a supermajority of Republicans in the legislature. The entire Democratic Party in the state is in complete disarray. And he is winning battles one day at a time. Is Governor DeSantis. By the way, the, the latest battle that he's winning right now is his plan. On Monday, he put out a plan to pass a teacher's bill of rights and spend an extra $200 million on teacher pay in the coming school year. So it's a two-pronged attack. One, he's going to break the teachers' unions, and two, he's going to pay the teachers more. That is just, it's good policy making. If you want to draw good teachers, you pay them more. If you want to break the teachers' unions, you offer people the possibility of good pay for good work. That's what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida right now, and the left does not know how to counter. According to the Wall Street Journal, the funds will bring the total the state has spent on teacher salaries to more than $3 billion from 2020 to 2024. They're also lifting the minimum salary to more than $48,000, eighth highest among states according to the NEA. Addressing a classroom in a Jacksonville school, the governor said the money would help ward off a teacher shortage. The nationwide average, she said, is three vacancies for every school. He said Florida has kept average openings to about half of that level. The plan devotes just as much attention to making sure teachers get the full benefit of their pay raise. It proposes a policy known as paycheck protection, which blocks the school from extracting members' dues on unions' behalf. So he's giving teachers back more money at the same time that he's fighting the teachers' unions. And... He's actually forcing teachers to teach curricula that parents would like to see them teach. This has all been having a real impact on how teachers are actually teaching in the state of Florida. According to the Washington Post, quote, teachers are changing their lessons amid increasing scrutiny from parents and a raft of state laws and school policies that circumscribe lessons on race and gender, according to one of the first nationally representative studies of the subject. To which I say, good, you're doing a crap job. It's time for you to actually re-examine what you are teaching students in the classroom. I don't want your woke TikTok garbage being taught to small students. How about this? How about you actually consider what you're teaching and whether it is worthwhile being taught to students? It's so funny. You hear people on the left like, do you want teachers to be fearful in the classroom of saying things that might get them fired? Yes, that is exactly what I want. Everyone else is. It seems to me that when you are teaching the most vulnerable members of society, you should every day fear that you're going to teach them something that is wrong and incorrect. You should be the most careful people. It shouldn't be that the least careful people are in charge of classrooms. Of course, you should feel like parents are looking over your shoulder. Of course, you should. The parents are delegating their power to raise their child to you for this time in the day. That does not mean that you have irrevocable power. It does not mean that you get to throw overboard whatever you think the, the parents believe. That's not how any of that works. I am so glad this is happening. Teachers should have in the back of their mind, am I violating the law? For example, the findings draw on data gathered during the latest American Instructional Resources Survey, which RAND has administered each spring since 2019. In the last iteration, RAND surveyed 8,000 educators on teaching English, math, and science and analyzed 1,500 open-ended responses from teachers. The report says, our data suggests that limitations placed on how teachers can address contentious topics may be leading to consequences for teachers' working conditions and for student learning. Teachers described working in conditions filled with worry, anxiety, and even fear. Good. Good. I want you to be anxious. Before you put up the Black Lives Matter and the Pride Progress flag in your third grade classroom, I would like for you to think twice about that. I would like for you to be nervous about that. What I don't like is when my kid is nervous and anxious because they don't know what left-wing gobbledygook is going to be stuffed into their head by you. You're an authority figure, but that authority is absolutely removable. It is amazing to me that there are so many people who believe that the comfort of the teachers comes before the education of the students. The new report comes during intense political, cultural, and legislative battles over what students should learn about race, racism, U.S. history, gender, and sexual orientation at schools. A Washington Post analysis found that as of late 2022, legislators in 45 states had passed 64 laws across the past three years, restricting what teachers can say and children can do at school. Laws limiting instruction on race, racism, and history made up 28% of the total. 
14 such pieces of legislation have passed in at least 18 states. Laws circumscribing instruction on gender identity, sexuality, and LGBTQ plus minus divided by assigned issues accounted for 23% of the total, with 15 such laws having been passed in eight states. At the same time, individual school districts have begun passing policies restricting education on similar topics, barring books by and about LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign, happy face emoji, sad face emoji, crying, laughing emoji, individuals and people of color, and increasing parental and administrative oversight of the titles chosen for public school libraries. Meanwhile, U.S. adults are losing their confidence in the public school system. Well, yes, that is why these restrictions are happening, and the restrictions are good. And it's been Ron DeSantis leading the way on that. Ron DeSantis is also leading the way in another contentious area. We'll get to that in just one second. Well, folks, on my last Sunday special, I sat down with Father Frank Pavone, a priest and pro-life activist who was recently dismissed by the Catholic Church for persistent disobedience. In our conversation, Father Frank describes a noticeable ideological shift amongst the clergy and how Pope Francis himself has intentionally sowed confusion around long-held church teachings regarding gay marriage, abortion, and others in order to placate a progressive agenda. It seems almost everywhere you turn, the world wants to make you more woke, but not my friend Dennis Prager. Dennis wants to make you wise. My good friend and the founder of PragerU is going to do just that with a brand new series. We're really excited about this. It's exclusive on Daily Wire Plus. It is called The Master's Program. The Master's Program takes decades of wisdom and experience from one of the most influential conservative thinkers in America today and distills it all the way down in a way that is relevant and accessible. That's, that's Dennis's specialty. It's amazing stuff. When you watch it, you'll come away better equipped to navigate the world through a lens of truth and virtue and a counter woke ideology and all of its lies and deception. Dennis has been a source of wisdom in not only my life, but in my parents' life. My parents listened to Dennis when I was but a small child, and it really shaped how they thought about the world, morality, religion. And now Dennis is distilling a lot of that wisdom for you. The first two episodes of Prager U Master's Program are available to stream right now, only on Daily Wire Plus. So head on over to dailywireplus.com, become a member, watch Prager U Master's Program, and more. That's dailywireplus.com today. Okay, meanwhile, as I have suggested, there is one other area where Governor DeSantis is wading into contentious waters and doing so, I think, in excellent fashion. Apparently, people on the left are very angry at Ron DeSantis for one reason, and that reason, apparently, is that he would like to lower the standard for the death penalty in Florida to a non-unanimous vote. So you'll recall that the, the perpetrator in the Parkland massacre, school massacre, was not given the death penalty in Florida because three out of the 12 jurors voted against the death penalty in that case, a lot of people were very angry about that. I was one of those people. It turns out that when you massacre school children, you don't deserve to be breathing the same air as the rest of us. You should, in fact, be put to death. Well, now Governor DeSantis has broached the possibility of changing state law to allow juries to impose the death penalty without unanimous agreement, suggesting that perhaps only two-thirds of 12 jurors need to vote in favor. We should put the number at eight. DeSantis, in a speech to the Florida Sheriff's Association on Monday, expressed disappointment in the Parkland school shooter being given life in prison. He said, maybe eight out of 12 have to agree or something. We can't be in a situation where one person can just derail this. His comments came as part of a discussion about what lawmakers may look at in the upcoming legislative session beginning March 7th. Now, remember, it would still take a unanimous verdict to find somebody guilty. You're just talking about the penalty that would be applied after the person is found guilty. So you find somebody guilty for murdering and raping a child. And now there's a separate hearing as to what the sentence should be. Should the sentence be death or should the sentence be life in prison? If you have one activist on the jury, the person ends up on the taxpayer dole for the rest of their life watching TV and eating McDonald's. And DeSantis is saying, no, that's not the way that it should work. We are, this isn't the question of whether they're guilty or not. We've already established their guilt. Now the only question is whether they should die or not. And so he wants to lower the standard. Apparently, a lot of people on the left are very upset about all of this. I have trouble, I think, explaining why they are so upset about all of this. Florida's requirement for unanimous agreements on the death penalty is relatively recent. A 2016 U.S. Supreme Court ruling and a subsequent Florida Supreme Court ruling triggered Florida's move to a unanimous jury system before Florida only required a majority and judges had the power to override a jury's decision. So it wasn't as though it was unchecked. If a jury came to a decision for the death penalty, a judge could still step in and say no. The U.S. Supreme Court said Florida's capital sentencing gave too much power to judges over juries. So following that ruling, legislators in 2016 passed a bill requiring a 10-2 jury majority. The state Supreme Court said it was in violation of the state constitution because it was non-unanimous. The next year, legislators passed a bill requiring unanimous jury recommendations. That seemingly put the issue to rest until 2020, and that is when the Florida Supreme Court reversed that ruling from four years earlier and said unanimity was not, in fact, necessary and that they had misinterpreted the earlier Supreme Court ruling. The court said a jury only had to be unanimous in agreement somebody was eligible for the death penalty, not whether they should be sentenced to death or not. So, again, a lot of people on the left are apparently mad about this. I have a hard time seeing why. When, when somebody commits a crime so egregious that eight out of 12 people on a jury believe that you should die for it, all 12 agree that you're guilty, and now eight out of the 12 say you should die for it, it seems to me 
that a couple of activists on the jury should not be enough to overturn that particular verdict. Okay, meanwhile, controversy continues to percolate regarding the House Republicans attempting to boot Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, as well as Representatives Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from the House Intelligence Committee. As Mark Thiessen writes over at the Washington Post, McCarthy is 100% right to make this move. He says, Omar is an anti-Semite who has no business serving on a committee that helps set policy toward Israel. Schiff and Swalwell are conspiracy theorists who abused their positions on the Intel Committee to falsely claim they had seen secret evidence that President Donald Trump conspired with Russia to steal the 2016 election, and that was a lie. Neither deserves access to our nation's secrets. That's putting aside the fact that Swalwell was um, apparently nailing a Chinese spy. In September 2021, Omar and her anti-Israel allies used a potential government shutdown to force Nancy Pelosi to remove a billion dollars in funding for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system from an emergency spending bill. The Iron Dome is purely defensive, which means that Omar basically just wanted to cut the ability of Israel to defend itself against missiles falling in civilian areas, which, by the way, is happening again right now. Israel, the other day, had to go into Jenin, which is a terrorist hotbed. They killed a bunch of terrorists. The world screamed and shouted. And now a bunch of missiles are apparently flying again into the center of Israel. Thank God for Iron Dome. Omar tried to defund that. That's just Ilhan Omar. Then there's Schiff and Swalwell, who have repeatedly claimed that his intel committee had unearthed plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy. He went on to meet the press and said, quote, I can't go into the particulars, but there's more than circumstantial evidence. He assured ABC News that Trump's Russia conspiracy is, quote, of a size and scope probably beyond Watergate, which of course was a lie. Swalwell was even worse. In an interview with MSNBC, he was asked by Chris Matthews, MSNBC, Matthew said, do you believe the president right now has been an agent of the Russians? And Swallow said, yes, I think there's more evidence that he is. And Swallow, again, said yes. So um, him being deprived of a committee assignment makes perfect sense. Adam Schiff responded to the news that he might be removed from the Intel Committee by going on the Chinese spy service TikTok to fundraise, which is a weird way to say that you want to be on the Intel Committee. Here is Adam Schiff. Hello, I'm Congressman Adam Schiff with some troubling news. Today, Kevin McCarthy removed me from the House Intelligence Committee, all for doing my job, for holding Trump accountable and standing up to the extreme MAGA Republicans. We knew it would be bad when the Republicans took over, but it's far worse than we expected. But I can promise you this, this is not the end of my fight for our democracy. This is just the beginning. Please join us and contribute today. Thank you. So he went on the Chinese spy service TikTok and tried to fundraise over all of that. By the way, he also linked this to a Senate campaign. Yes, there's only failing upwards in American politics. No one ever fails out of American politics. They just go away for a little while and then they return, ready to run for office again. Adam Schiff, according to the Washington Post, has now announced that he is running for the Senate in 2024, joining a growing field of Democrats who are seeking to replace Dianne Feinstein. She has not explicitly said she would run for re-election. That is because she is one million years old and no longer sentient, according to pretty much all sources. Schiff said, quote, we're in the fight of our lives for the future of this country. And so he announced that he is going to run for the Senate again. In his campaign announcement, he said, the fight for our democracy and working families is part of the same struggle. If our democracy isn't delivering for Americans, they'll look for alternatives, like a dangerous demagogue who promises that he alone can fix it. Schiff has been elected to Congress in 2000. He represented a large swath of the greater Los Angeles area, including the San Gabriel Valley. And of course, he led the impeachment effort against Trump and lied to the press repeatedly about what he had and had not seen. Schiff joins Representative Katie Porter, 49, who, uh, of course, announced her run this month. She is the person with the whiteboard who writes a bunch of stuff, and then people get super excited because she has a whiteboard. She has yet to write anything super intelligent on the whiteboard, but it's okay. The whiteboard is really the thing. Barbara Lee also wants to run for the Senate seat as well. She is 76 years old, so she is more in line with the age that we we expect of our, of our nation's top leaders. Barbara Lee, of course, was considered a possible VP candidate for Joe Biden, mainly because Joe Biden said that he wanted a black woman and Barbara Lee is in fact a black woman. So that was that, that's her real claim to fame. Otherwise, she's just been a very long time representative in, in Congress. That, that's pretty much her, her big thing. So it's going to be a crowded field in California. One of these people will be elected to the Senate because it is a universally Democrat state. It'll be fascinating to see which one of these dullards emerges from this race. All three of those candidates are terrible, by the way. Katie Porter is a bad candidate. Adam Schiff is a significantly worse candidate. Barbara Lee is probably the worst candidate of the three, just in terms of electability. In terms of radicalism, all three of them are incredibly radical because California is an incredibly radical state. So I guess California has that to look forward to. Once again, I am very glad I no longer live in California. Meanwhile, I do have to mention the funniest story of the day. The AP style book has sounded off again on American language. It's always exciting when they do this. So it used to be that they would sound off on like the Oxford comma 
which is the comma before and in a lot of sentences. Uh, now, they actually have, have broader comments that, that implicate politics. Here's what they tweeted today. You ready? We recommend avoiding general and often dehumanizing the labels, such as the poor, the mentally ill, the French, the disabled, the college educated. Instead, use wording such as people with mental illnesses and use these descriptions only when clearly relevant. So first of all, I totally agree. The French is a dehumanizing label. You should totally never say that someone is uh, the French. It's a terrible thing to say about somebody. Also, I agree that we should use the term people with mental illnesses to describe today's college educated. That, that also feels correct to me. But I'm also just wondering what the alternatives are. Is it people suffering from Frenchness? Is it people who have experienced cheese-eating surrender monkeyness? Like what, what exactly, it, what, if you can't call them the French, what exactly do you call them? Beret-wearing, wine-swilling surrender monkeys? I, I just, I, I'm running out of terms. I, I don't, I'm not sure. You're also not supposed to say the poor. Uh, so I guess you're supposed to say people experiencing poverty as though it has just sort of collapsed on them like a building or something. Uh, always. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it is not. And you're not supposed to say the college educated. Instead, you should say, again, people with mental illnesses. So it's exciting to see the Associated Press sounding off on this sort of stuff. Yes, life is getting increasingly stupid and restrictive. But, you know, that's all right. Because after all, Joe Biden is going to lead us to a bright and glorious future. Alrighty, guys, the rest of the show is continuing right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into a trans male rapist, meaning a dude who raped some women, allegedly. I guess he's in jail for it now. But now he calls himself a woman, so we all have to use his preferred pronouns. It's really important to respect the pronouns of the rapist, who apparently is now a very rapey woman. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click the link in the description and join us. <laughs> We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 